my name is Stuart Alsop, and this is my podcast, Crazy Wisdom, where I interview creative people about how they work with and manage the stress that is inherent in creative work. What I've realized over the past 10 years of my research is that anybody who is creating something of value that is significantly different from what has come before is considered crazy. Most of us have a fear, an ingrained fear of going crazy. Uh, so what I'm saying is grab onto that fear, realize that it's there, and just go with it because the problems we're going to be facing over the next 20 years require crazy people in order to solve them. Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. My guest is my roommate, David Zangwill, uh, the, a product manager at Adobe and a very creative individual who I've had a lot of entertaining discussions with in the, <laughs> in the kitchen. Uh, very excited to sit down and get his take on the relationship between stress and creativity. Um, David, I'd love it if you could explain a little bit more about what you're creating, particularly um, this podcast that you're about to start and, yes. uh, and any dancing events. I know you're into dancing in New York. You, you did some dancing as well, so I'd love to yeah, hear more about that. Absolutely. Um, thanks for having me, Stuart. This is, yeah, it feels like a little bit overdue and perfectly like in time as well. Cool. So I'm grateful to be here. Mm. Um, so projects I'm working on. Um, I'm organizing a monthly event called Social Physicality, and that's largely around uh, playfulness. Um, it's like if there's a Venn diagram, it's between like um, a dance experience, uh, authentic relating, and like theatrical experiences. So just the weaving between those spaces, and that'll be a monthly event. We've only done one so far. Uh, beyond that, I am uh, hopefully moving into the first podcast with you immediately after this, the first <laughs> interview for a series that I would like to call Healing at Scale, which investigates the question how, if and how we can use technology to to heal the world. Mm. So yeah, what what is healing to you? What is yeah. healing to heal? And I think that might be the first question that uh, the <laughs> podcast begins with. But yeah. um, to me, healing is something I'm continuing to discover. Like I actually have a lot of aversion to the world, the word. Uh, I think it's, it's like, like uh, it can be very imprecise. Um, and my, my precision brain gets a little upset by it. Um, and it can be like a little excessively spiritual in some ways, but maybe, maybe rightfully spiritual in other ways too. I think healing for me is really just a progression towards health in, in a grounded way, a progression towards wholeness in like a more like spiritual sense. And I think it's really about, like for me, like wounds around, uh, like claiming one's shadow are really important to me, seeing one's shadow, seeing the wounds that we all hold. Um, maturity, I think is like a, a way to, to heal as well as moving towards greater and greater um, levels of maturity. Mm -hmm. And what is the shadow for our listeners who aren't familiar with that? Yeah, I use it in the sense, uh, with a simple definition, meaning like that which we repress or deny about ourselves and things that um, we might choose not to share consciously with ourselves. Like if I'm feeling sad about a thing, I might choose to shut down instead, instead of allowing myself to feel that sadness. Mm. And so then what is the difference between he healing and curing? Mm -hmm. So curing, uh, I, I think is more, um, in a medical Western diagnose diagnostic mechanism where it's like, Hey, this is the working model of how the pieces create this diagnosis. 
and uh, we can we, by by removing that 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 core quote unquote root cause mm. of this mechanistic approach, then then the cure will be there. Mm. Um, and and for me, healing is is more in a psychological sense often, which doesn't necessarily have such a mechanistic root cause. Mm. But the two are definitely related for a lot of people. Um, I know in my own my own healing, uh, the the it's becoming more and more clear to me that uh, the psychological components are extremely important to the physical manifestations of of whatever is going on. Mm. Uh, and this might not be the case in things like like um, chronic illness and other things. Uh, like specifically, you know, like if I have broken my my arm, then it might not be a psychological manifestation maybe maybe there is i don't know right yeah what do you think about that and so is the question around how does healing relate to to curing or like um the psychological component because you mentioned that the Mm -hmm. the that uh so curing is a uh more of a mechanistic like if we if we define these things that's wrong and then we fix those things then it'll lead to a cure that's right um and then and then healing is more of a of a overarching kind of like uh, becoming whole kind of thing. I guess, yeah, what, what, where is the intersection between the curing and healing? So, I mean, for example, um, um, like cure almost, like I, I can't think of a great one right now. Like I would think of like my hand is cut, right? Mm. And if my hand is cut, uh, there isn't necessarily something that needs to be cured, mm. but there is healing done at the physical level. Like I think like, so it's like using the word healing can be often use it the physical and it makes sense there mm-hmm, too mm-hmm. I think it, with my podcast I'm actually interested in using it at uh, the more psychological level um, but I think what you're suggesting is like I think what I'm hearing is a question around how does the mind and body interplay mm-hmm. with illness yeah. and pain yeah, yeah, and yeah. suffering mm-hmm. and I think like that that's a really interesting question mm-hmm. um, like that I think opens up like yes yeah, so, like interesting possibilities of like um, theory of mind uh-huh. and mm-hmm. um like yeah what the relationship is fundamentally between the body and the mind mm-hmm. um and even free will is like yeah, another yeah, topic yeah, yeah. that that oh. i think jumps into that as well yeah that's really interesting so what um how can how does healing help us become more creative mm. um i think for me it's actually coming back to the shadow i think there's this part of us that like there's this myth of the creative person like the night owl who stays up with inspiration and i think there's something about like to make it into like a bit of a poetic metaphor it's like staying up late the the light is is hidden behind the other side of the planet and these people are sitting in the darkness sometimes mm. um mm. on their own on their own yeah. and, and and i think they're pulling they're making the unknown into the known and they're they're willing to see something that hasn't been created and sit with it and and make that uh, which which is unclear to them clearer. So I think there's a similar process of coming, like making things unconscious conscious is similar to me as making, I think that could be a similar mechanism mm-hmm. to creativity of mm-hmm. making making things like something from nothing. Have you noticed that in your own life in terms of the more you kind of take on the shadow and like look at the shadow, which you know you had previously kind of mm-hmm. uh, pushed aside, have you become more creative? Or? Mm. Um, I think I've just become more more like rooted in myself mm. and more compassionate of others. Mm. I think by being, being able to, to see the parts of it myself that I'm like not so happy to look at, but really accept them, mm. um, that, that others are also doing their own work, like whether consciously or not. And they, and they might have those pieces as well that are influencing the behaviors that might 
make me less than happy. Mm. But in terms of the creativity, I'm not sure if I actually have seen um, the shadow. I think I, I feel like maybe the connection would be um, feeling more secure and rooted in myself gives me more space to then um, feel connected to inspiration. And for me, like I wouldn't call the shadow the, inspir- the inspiring force, but it's like an ally for creativity. Like for me, like like uh, I don't know if have you talked to, talked on this podcast about like Elizabeth Gilbert or her. Have you like no. the book Big Magic is mm-hmm. a fascinating book about like a, her theory of creativity. Interesting. I recommend to you and everybody if you haven't done so already to check out that book and her podcast, which talks about your elusive creative genius. And to her, she actually thinks the reason why there might be so much mental illness for for creative types is because we have an incorrect model where a person is identified with their creativity, and then. Her, like, her whole think was like, she's found herself getting um, asked the question, like, what the fuck are you going to do next? You just, you just like hit a grand slam. Like, like how the fuck are you going to top that? Yeah. And like, and it's like actually a really interesting problem. It's like, yeah, she hit this amazing level of success. And like, is that the greatest expression of success that she's ever going to have? And then is she just going to like wither and die afterwards? Mm. And, and I think she points to the fact that people then associate creativity with ego and she actually goes back to like Roman times where they used the word daemon mm. for for mm. for like the creative spark and and someone had a daemon they they weren't the daemon mm. and and that like distance i think was actually allowing the creative person to work with this entity mm. and be more open to that creative spark in a way to, instead of like clinging to it as an ego and then either i'm doing well as a creative or i'm not doing well mm. as a creative mm. and like i think that actually can be harmful psychologically and that brings up a really interesting question, which I ask a lot, is for people who have achieved success at a external level very early on before they've had a chance to look at their shadow, mm. then some really crazy shit starts to happen once mm. they've kind of reached the success and they mm. don't, and everybody starts to look at them as this, as this, uh, uh god i guess yeah and uh yeah. what like do you see that do you see that what do you see about that kind of um archetype is it true or does it have truth to it i mean i would love to explore that like like almost from like a data perspective it's like who who achieve like who achieves how much success how early and like what work have they done to date i think that's like a really interesting line of, of mm-hmm. thought mm-hmm. um like the only like i'm trying to ground this in in some stories i think like uh uh who's the canadian guy who like was like uh, he's like that singer I, i'm probably just like too ashamed to say his name so i'm pretending not to oh but, uh bieber yes bieber. Bieber. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he like right like wrote all these songs and like you either loved him or hated him or like didn't really give a shit but like he i think he had this period where like he was like getting into some legal trouble and like mm-hmm. like being a bit of a yeah like like just not not healthy behavior so like that that as like this person who achieved success very young probably like michael jackson right Mm -hmm. like uh i think there's like a bunch of factors at play like one would be that like by identifying with the ego then there is that tendency for the ego to identify as the creative force and yes as god Mm -hmm. and i think that's a really the messiah complex Mm -hmm. like not in like a religious like i'm going to be the savior of the planet but like look at the powerful creative force that i I am Um, and like i think that's 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 very unhealthy, and and if they haven't done the work to contain that, then yes, things that could easily be created. And so, for yourself, have you ever thought where do your creative inspirations come from? Have because from what I've recognized in myself, and when I ask other people this, 
a lot of people say when they get their ideas, they don't know where it came from. Um, where, where do your ideas come from? I mean, in my model that I think is inspired by Elizabeth Gilbert and Carl Jung, I think mm. all inspiration comes from the collective unconsciousness. Mm. And um, if you take a Myers-Briggs test, like I think there's just like the, that that point. That's one way of noticing what kind of information sources you're more interested in. So like the the intuitive sensor. So that that's like one of the um, gradients. So it's like the sen- sensor people who test high in sensors actually like they they're more about like an outward in mm-hmm. where it's like I'm feeling this thing in my leg and like I'm gonna take that information or or this like immediate situation is more salient to me than like intuitive ways of knowing abstractions. Mm-hmm. And I find that intuitive people who test high in intuition are more connected to the collective unconscious and have more creative ideas. Mm-hmm. And like by an, being an intuitive person, um, it's just just that that open. And I also think like just to break it down to other psychological personality frameworks, like a big five is like big five is one of the most well-known and has the the most data and longevity over time. And there's one, there's one poll there called openness. Mm. So if like, if I were to like characterize types of people who would be inspired a lot, it'd probably be people who score intuitive on the Myers-Briggs and have high openness. Mm. So like the openness to that, that, because I think people who score high on intuition are actually slightly closer psychologically to the collective unconsciousness. And get like that inspiration from it, and 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 again, I think it's it's um, what's so interesting about inspiration is that like it's also a cultural moment. Like like uh, uh, I I think this might even echo what we spoke about in the kitchen a bit, but mm-hmm. it's like like um, there were like uh, Newton, I believe, was the guy who's credited with uh, with with like discovering or inventing calculus, mm-hmm. and like like math was at this like impasse, and he like found another way to proceed, and then I think like within a two-year gap, like someone who had who's like hundreds of miles away. I think his name started like mm-hmm. Labonce or mm-hmm. something in like Italy, mm-hmm. and they had no way of communicating. Also discovered calculus, mm-hmm. and yeah, like math was at the same problem space, but like the solutions emerged. And I even think there's like evidence that supports. I would need to verify this, but that like evolution, for example, converged on on like like the eye as a solution for for how do animals respond to their stimulus right. externally. Uh. And and uh, and like that was probably and I think that example of the eye is like separate across space as well. So mm-hmm. it's like there's this moment where these things want to be created, and it's just like it's that that inspiration just needs the right container for them to come through. And, mm-hmm. and so it's like this idea of yeah, there is that channelingness mm-hmm. metaphor, and that brings in kind of what the Buddhists talk a lot about is codependent origination or dependent origination, which is. When you look at something, for example, when I look at a red apple and I see that red apple as a red apple, what I'm actually seeing is a combination of the sun reflecting off of that apple as well as my neurons in my eyes looking at that apple and then projecting red onto it. So you can't pull apart what is the red apple and what is my brain projecting that image of the red apple. And it's kind of like this. It's in the same thing with causation and cor- correlation is that we c- it's very difficult for us as humans to pick out exactly what it means when, when something causes another thing. We can, we can say that they're correlated, but it's really difficult to get into the causation and stuff like that. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, so now let's take it to stress. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is your understanding of stress? Sure. Yeah. Um, I think a model that comes to mind around stress is is this is that the flow the flow model mm. and i think that could be an interesting way to think about stress where on one pole like the x-axis let's call it it's um skill mm. and on the y-axis it's it's the challenge mm. and so i think like that that's a framework to maybe talk about 
how much stress is experienced when and where. So it's like when's, and, and this is the same discussion for flow, but it's like when your challenge is greater than your skill level, you're going to probably be feeling anxiety. Mm-hmm. And, and I put that under stress as well. So there's like this equation between a person's skill level and what the situation is calling from them mm-hmm. um, that I think is where stress can emerge. And, and when, and, and the idea is with flow, which, which is, I'm wondering, it's like almost like in this mathematical model, it's like, I, I'm not a physics expert, but I know like, uh, uh, I think if you take the integral of speed, it becomes velocity or, or maybe it's the vice versa. It's like speed and velocity. And it, like, are, those are all, uh, I, 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 so it's like, I'm wondering if like, if you take the inverse of stress, you get flow. Mm-hmm. So like, like when, when flow is high, um, flow is high when challenge and skill are both very high. Mm-hmm. They're both like, like, like all the way at the end of the axes of both. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and like stress would be low then. Yeah. Stress is low. So it's like the inverse. Mm-hmm. So it's like, um, if, in, in, but then if they're imbalanced, like if you're way more skilled than the, just than the, the moment asks of you, mm-hmm. that then the challenge required, you're going to be bored, which isn't stress. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So that's good. That leads to a good question. What is the difference between stress and boredom? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, boredom's like, a me- like, uh, like more of a, a subjective state. Like I feel, um, like it's almost closer to an emotion mm-hmm. than like stress. I think is like a physiological response mm-hmm. while like boredom, I feel like is it's more in like the mindset attitude, mental state that's definitely influenced by emotion. But, mm-hmm. um, boredom, I think is like more, like I could, I could more easily change my subjective experience of from boredom to, um, interest or curiosity or delight or, uh, just like switch mental contexts. Mm. And so it's, it feels more like directly modifiable to like me that, than like stress. Like even if I choose to change my mental uh, context for like the, the stress will probably still be there mm-hmm. in some way. So stress, stress as something outside of us. And this is something that, that brought up to when you were talking about um, the flow is that st- stress itself can be negative or positive but we normally associate it with a with a negative thing. That's right. But it's but it's a any sort of outside influence that that um, creates obstacles or I don't know. It's really hard to get into the wh- what exactly stress is. Um, uh, obstacles maybe at the purely physio- physiological level when they talk about stress in the body, they talk about gravity's effect on the body. And so load the load yeah. on the, on the, and then when they talk about moving and you move uh, into a different plane of motion, then they talk about the tissues becoming strained. So the difference between strain and stress basically. So there's that just basic physiological level of gravity causes stress onto the body. What would be a psychological kind of way of putting stress into that same, mm-hmm. into that same bucket? Yeah. That's an interesting metaphor. So if, Gravity causes stress on the body. Um, huh. And that's why we have this metaphor of heavy. You know, things are really heavy when they're stressed and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. Um, which uh, I want to bring up a book that I've been reading called uh, Philosophy in the Flesh, which takes what we've been learning about cognitive science and applying it to philosophy. Uh, they, they found out that if you look at how the way that children develop metaphors, it, it, it develops very early. So the, the ingrained kind of thing that we do as human beings is we create these metaphors about, um, for example, uh, nothing's coming to mind right now. Um, we, 
develop me metaphors, abstract metaphors that explain physical uh, characteristics, basically. Uh, and then we take them to be true and we, we communicate using a lot of these metaphors. Uh, it's a great book called Philosophy in the Flesh. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, I didn't really have a point to that, but <laughs> all good. Yeah. Uh, so we've got stress now and we've got creativity mm -hmm. and now what is the relationship between stress and creativity? Stress and creativity. Um, like to me, creativity will always run into resistance mm -hmm. and like, I, I don't think there's a creative path that that is resistance free. Mm. And, and I think how we respond to those resistances can often be stressful. Mm. Um, and, and, and so like for me, like one of the most creative things I can do in my world is, is articulate a vision that I have conviction about and, and slowly chip away at moving towards it mm. and, and even inspiring others to look at it and see the merit in it, the importance in it and moving in the same direction. Mm. And, um, and, 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 and the funny thing about that, like just to get heavier or meta for a second is like the visions will never be real. Uh, like they're, yeah. the, they're, the, they're purely directional mm. and, 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 and yet they're the most powerful thing in some way mm. because they, they set that action. Uh, um, and that seems to be something very human is that we can visualize, we can create these visions and then try to mold reality into this, into these visions. And, it, and that, that seems to be something that we're unique, uh, in the, in the animal kingdom, uh, for, for being able to do this. I mean, we've created cities, we've created these like art, all these different things that don't exist in the natural world, which mm -hmm. is really interesting. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And like, again, like, yeah, then there's like whole political and power dynamic conversation about whether that's even like the right model. Like mm. it's this top down, mm. Hey, here's the vision. Like here's mm. the vision guy. Like it doesn't make sense to implement the vision. Should we mold reality into that thing? Yeah. Or, or is it more of a dance where, and that's what the more I talk about leaders and people who do this, especially like as a product manager, that's actually one of the most important things is usually the people who I'm working with have less context for where we're going. Uh, and mm -hmm. so it's up to the product manager to set the context typically. Interesting. And, 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 and it's actually like what, what I'm continue what I each, like have to do in my job often is figure out what layer of abstraction would be most beneficial because, um, the vision can be like, oh yeah, we're just going to like move this metric to that much or like, oh, we're just going to like design for this engagement thing. And it's like, or it's like, no, we're like, they need, they need the problem space from the customer or, or no, they need like the technical challenge of how to actually do like, there's just, there's so much from the nitty gritty of actually what's the concrete next step to like, what's the fullest expressed, most grandiose expressed version of it. Mm -hmm. And, and always choosing like the, and also knowing that like, the fullest, like, like as you get more and more abstract, the creative vision actually becomes less precise, and uh, and some people you're going to lose that way. They're they're not going to they're not, and some people are going to be really inspired that way. So there's always this. It's almost like this patchwork where you set direction, then you get a little bit more action steps, and then you actually get feedback from reality, which then feeds the vision itself. So it's it is this like this more interactive model. I think is is it's 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 a better, more pragmatic way to go, and I think it's actually. Um, um, like it, it doesn't, it doesn't, it isn't so top down and inflexible that it, it, yeah, it might avoid some of the issues that I have with that model. Interesting. Uh, that brings up a lot of different stuff. When you, in, in your, in your day job, are you working, are you managing mostly developers, designers or? The job, I have a, a pretty technical product. So okay. I'm like, yeah, almost exclusively engineers. Yeah. And 
from my understanding from when I was managing engineers is that a lot of times engineers are so focused in the nitty gritty that the abstract things are not uh, that will take them away from from the nitty gritty. Is that is that true? That, is that yeah, that? that's definitely true. But but every now and then, like almost every human has a need to know why, mm. and and and, and mm-hmm. then I think they have a really interest in 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 the technical like like build. They love like the building aspect of it, and mm-hmm. I think they get off on those problems, and like that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but but everyone's like, wait, why is this important again? <laughs> and I think that's where what's the context is there to help with. And that's what you're doing as a product manager, yeah, is giving that context to both the developers. But then you're also interfacing with other people that are handing down their direction. The well, ideally, a product manager talks to customers and understands uh, problems, yeah. and also talks to execs and get try and gets their input on the on the vision and the strategy, and then just it's like. Product management, in my ideas, is is a glue function for that. It's continuously articulating the context for all the stakeholders mm. to achieve certain outcomes. Interesting. So it's it's like what we were talking about before about essentially channeling the creativity and and and, and not being the one who who is identified with this thing, but channeling that that creative force from wherever it is to mm. another place, and 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 then so it's becoming a. a, a facilitator of flow basically yeah um, that's and for sure um that's a really elegant way to say it mm. and i, I want to try to tie this back to your question around stress like i feel like we got we got we got we got like a, a little a nice little bit on leadership and then we got a nice little bit on creativity in general but but like stress to me um like it, it's almost around like the metaphor or the framework that comes to mind is 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 like risk adversity. Mm-hmm. It's like if a person is super risk adverse, they they may or may not they probably less likely to take that most creative path. But if they're if they're very like prone to risk, then they might take that that even more creative path. Or uh, or or they might not fit in this model. and They just need to do it and they can't say no to it. Mm-hmm. But the idea is, um, I think the more quote unquote risky an idea is, the the the, the more like the the more stress a person's going to encounter along that pathway. Absolutely. Um, yeah, like, yeah. That's something we haven't discussed before on the show, which is the relationship between creative or stress and risk, uh, and and creativity and risk as well, which is really interesting. I hadn't thought about that before. Which and it fits that model fits with what I understand about technology entrepreneurs as well is that and uh, that a lot of them choose big creative visions and then they have a lot of stress uh, 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 associated with that. Um, the you know the Steve Jobs is the most kind of prescient you know everybody thought he was an asshole but he did these creative things that 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 uh, had a huge influence uh, but then you get people like uh, the woman from Theranos who who yeah. who, who you know created this this vision <laughs> yeah. this huge vision and then caused a lot more stress because it was completely unfounded in reality <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 uh, that's really interesting I've never that's actually thought. interesting yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, huh. I wonder if uh, who was stressed out more, Steve Jobs or or Theranos. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. So and so you've got your day job, but you're also into these dancing events. Uh, yeah. And um, what is that relationship between creativity and dancing? Why do you dance? Yeah, for me, I think it was around um, like there's something just reverent about about it like i think there's like this community aspect i think uh from one level uh we're like in my judgment we're missing a lot of um 
communal ecstatic experiences. And I think for me, at least that's like a piece of like primordial mind that mm. like is like important for me to connect to. Mm. So that's why space is like, uh, ecstatic dance are so, um, important to me. Mm. Mm. And also beyond that, I think like, and like more concretely, there was this notion of like, like how can I express myself more and more accurately, more and more clearly with, with more and more, um, uh, with, with less and less filter actually mm-hmm. is like, and, and, and so, um, dance actually became like a way where I kind of f- felt like I could achieve like real time self-expression mm-hmm. where there was actually like, no, and it's that flow state. It's like, there's no filter between what I'm doing and, and, and who I am. Mm-hmm. And, and like, um, so, so to be able to get back into that present moment, uh, by moving the body and in this like potentially reverent way in community is just, yeah, incredibly nourishing for me. And it, and it taps into something that to us that's very deep in evolutionary is that like, to my knowledge, the human communities were formed, you know, at around the fire dancing, you know, that's the model I have of, of what happened for, yeah. you know, maybe 20 million years or something. I know. Yeah, 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 yeah. But like something that's really deep and fundamental. And I get that every time I go to ecstatic dance, I feel that I feel that kind of like, as you said, primordial nature that comes out on this dance floor. And I can't put a finger on it because it's something that's so autonomic and so deep in my, in my, in my psyche or whatever, that it's just like, like something deep is happening here. Same thing I get in massage as well is, is when, mm. I'm, when I'm giving a massage and this is actually backed by the, by the, by the science of it is that when I give somebody a massage, my unconscious is interacting with their unconscious and affecting a change on their uh, unconscious. 95% of what's happening in a massage is unconscious to both parties, basically, mm. but really beneficial mm. and really healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the same thing that I get in, in dance as well. Mm. Yeah. Um, and this is something I've been thinking about. I was going to make a post about it was that uh, Freud talks a lot about the unconscious and the conscious. And a lot of people interpret that as being like, okay, I've got to make that conscious part of my mind conscious of all this unconscious part maybe a little bit of the shadow as well as what mm-hmm. we get into, mm-hmm. but by design, our brains are, are unconscious. 95% of it, yeah. 99% of it is unconscious. Yep. When I look at that apple, there's something going on in my eye on the way between my eye and my brain that is shrinking that image down. Because if I really saw what that apple was, I would be so focused on that apple. Then, then the rest of my brain would be completely confused because there's so much going on. There's so much stimuli. So it's really like, and so, and this is a question I have for myself in my healing process is how much do I want to uncover and how, how quickly, like, yes. because there are things about myself that I think if I found out about, I might, you know, I might kind of like, might be too, too much. <laughs> too much I yeah. totally get that. Yeah. Like that's, it's cause I, I'm, I'm af- afraid. And to be honest, like I, like I, I, I'm, I'm very open to exploring new things, but like I've drawn, I've drawn the line, for example, at like, like I'm not interested in past life regression. Mm. Like, 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 mm-hmm. and, and like, and like the reason for that is because, uh, I'm afraid of, uh, inventing trauma mm-hmm. and, uh, and, 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 and also I'm also afraid of, of pulling up more than I can work with. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think like a model that I've heard about and I would like to move towards is this notion that like if trauma is, is trauma tends to be connected to a story of an event and like. Like, I feel like this notion, and I don't even really know what they mean by past life regression, so maybe there's some work to be done for me, but it's like, if I were to have infinite lives beyond, like, behind me, then 
it just feels like it opens up an endless well of trauma to always be pulling from mm. and, 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 and creating essentially. And, and yeah, exactly. And yeah. it's like, it's not, that sounds like pulling out too much. Mm. Um, but at the same time, like I want to, I want to look at my wounds. I want to look at my shadow and I want to heal. So there's mm. a little bit of dance between the two. Mm. I think the final thing I'll say there is, um, like, um, nope, I lost it. Yeah. <laughs> that was my final thing. Yeah. And that actually, uh, so you know, we got, we've got a couple minutes left. Cool. What, um, what is one book article idea that you've read or come across in the last month that's really affected your ability to, to be more creative or to mm-hmm. be less stressed? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm, in the last month, uh, well, I'm going to cheat and just say, uh, like I want to double down on what I said earlier on the Ted talk for the creative genius. Mm. I think like that is one that, um, really changed the way I perceive, uh, what creativity is and the book, big magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. Mm. Um, yeah, nothing immediately comes in from the last month. That, that, um, I, I want to read it after you've described it. Um, and so how, how can people find you to find out more about what you're doing? Sure. Uh, I am, I don't even know. I'm not so big on social media. Uh, you can write me an email. <laughs> I like email. <laughs> DavidZangwell at gmail.com. <laughs> Send me an email. <laughs> if you want to find out more about his dancing events, uh, which are... What, what oh, right, right, yeah. yeah. Social physicality. We don't have any social media or anything yet either. We're yeah. still launching. Yeah. Uh, yeah the, and then the podcast too. The podcast is Healing at Scale. So let's say healingatscale.com and I actually do have... Uh, it's social physicality, but we abbreviated it to Sophies, so that's spelled like Sophies. This is a really bad way to communicate it. I'm realizing right now, but it's s o p h y s dot com, or, or sorry, I think it's Sophies dot life. Excuse me, s o p h y s dot l i f e. Sophies dot life. Cool. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Stuart. Yeah. Really appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks for tuning into the show. If you liked it, please go ahead and find us on iTunes or Spotify and hit the subscribe button. I'll publish each episode by Monday morning before your commute, so make sure to check in then. And this is a reminder to just own your crazy because the challenges that this world will be facing over the next 100 years will require us to think way outside the box. As Hunter S. Thompson said, when the going gets weird, the weird turn pro. Thanks, have a great day. 